Champaign, Illinois native Emily Harrington coming to you from Kitchen Table Studios in the ever-evolving, sometimes boring, flatlands of Champaign-Urbana for the next podcast episode of Hyperlocals, where townies and transplants share their tales of tears and triumphs, losses and wins, so stay tuned to catch the characters behind the beloved Twin Cities of CU. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hyperlocals podcast. I have an old friend back from high school. She was slightly older than me. Just enough to be more mature. Oh, snap, yeah. snap, snap. Okay, okay. So I graduated 02 from Central, and you? 2000. Okay, okay. And I knew her as Mary Ratcliffe. Yes. And now she is Mary English Enright. Correct. Okay. Of Honey Bunny Bakes. And you have really made a name for yourself. It seems like to me in the community and on social media, I tried to order a cake. She's booked up and she is extremely talented from what I can see and at what I have ate. My brother-in-law is a huge purchaser. He's a very big supporter. Yes. We appreciate him so much. Yes. <laughs> so I have tasted and can vouch and verify. It's very good. So Mary is here to talk about her son specifically. But before, we're going to do a little catch up. Okay. Your last name, English Enright. So English is actually my middle name. Okay. Okay. So I knew you as Mary Ratcliffe. Mm-hmm. And now you have this fancy name. <laughs> so English is your... Middle name. Okay. And Enright is your... Last name. Okay. Your married name. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And you went from Champagne mm-hmm. to a place that my mom called Chicken Biscuit. <laughs> and I was like, that can't be right, mom. Isn't that the cracker? Yes. <laughs> I was like, that's not right. That led to a Google search and it's chicken bristle. Chicken bristle, yeah. So how do you land in chicken bristle? Uh, a man. No, I <laughs> um we were living in town and in Champagne. Uh, well, technically we were in Urbana at the time. Okay. I mean, it was, you know, you pop back and forth between sure. the two. And we were just looking at like the school system. Honestly, it was kind of like what we wanted to raise like how we wanted to raise our kids and um my husband pushed for a rural setting I was a little resistant um but um I will say I love being out there it's you know our closest neighbor is like a quarter mile away we're right by a river there's wildlife my kids are half feral it's (laughs) uh you know it's it's good out there and so it wasn't I'll clarify so chicken bristle is uh it geotags anytime I post anything on social media, like I'm in chicken bristle. Sure. Um, but my actual mailing address reads Tuscola. Okay. So okay. it's like we're about, oh, 15, 10 to 15 minutes outside of Tuscola. Okay. Are you liking living in a rural setting? I really love it, you actually. Do. I was so surprised because it takes a little bit of like forethought and planning just in, I can't really just run to the store. I mean, I try to limit 
the trips in town and everything's a little bit more expensive in a smaller town. So I still work in Champaign. I actually, I consider that I still kind of live here in a way. I just have a longer commute, but I like the trip home and the trip back into like my work day because I start like at my house it's we're on a gravel road Mm -hmm. and then we go to you know a paved road and then a two-lane highway and then the four-lane highway (laughs) and so it kind of like opens up you know what I mean and then at the end of the day I start like in town and my world slowly gets like smaller and quieter until I get to my house and then like my house is in the middle of nowhere so So you have time to ramp up and then decompress yeah and listen to podcasts that's like 90 percent <laughs> of what I do, honestly, while I'm yeah working like at the bakery, while right. I'm yeah driving, yeah. Podcast. So your commute is about thirty minutes. It's exactly thirty minutes, which is good because then I don't have to think about anything. I just right. If it was twenty five minutes, I would not be able to do the conversion. Yeah, I totally understand. <laughs> totally understand. And you have two kids, is that yes, correct? Yes. Hank and Ruby. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And what are their ages? Uh, six and seven. They oh, are, they're really close. They're fifteen months apart. So is that an Irish twin? I think to be an Irish twin, you have to be under a year. Oh, okay. I think. Okay. But um they are ridiculously close in age. We did it on purpose. <laughs> oh, which, you did. Oh, yeah. It cuz we cuz we're ding-dongs. We didn't know what we were doing. Like because Hank was like 7 months old oh, you're and like, Oh, this is so cute. Yeah, cuz like they respond to you and they sit like they stay in one spot. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And you're like, "Oh, this is easy. Yeah. I can do this." Not thinking that by the time the newborn came, that one's going to be on the move. And like, yeah. So it's uh, actually a mutual friend of ours, Kelly Nelson of Kelly Nelson Events. Okay. Her kids are super close in age. And I reached out to her when we brought Ruby home in tears. I ruined everything. The dynamic (laughs) is awful. I don't know what I'm doing here. I said, tell me, does it get better? And she said, no. The good news is you don't have two boys. I mean, at least they probably aren't fighting all the time. Oh, of course they are. Um, Oh, absolutely. But Ruby's pretty tough. I mean, yeah, no, they fight constantly. Well, they're either best friends or Uh they're fighting constantly. I mean, I know other family dynamics where there's larger gaps and they struggle with finding activities to keep everyone engaged. And we don't have that issue. Everyone's in the same kind of boat. Right. How close are yours? They're three years apart. Okay. But they fight all the time. Well, yeah. I mean, didn't you fight with your brother? I mean, yeah. Yeah, me too. Or I just took a lot of beatings is what it seemed like. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah. Poor little baby Emily. (laughs) Yeah. So we're here really to talk about Hank. Yes. Okay. And so he's the older, is that right? Yes. Hank's seven. Okay. And Hank is in what grade at this point? First. Okay. So pediatric hearing loss is the subject, really what we're here to talk about. And when did you discover that Hank couldn't hear as well as what you've experienced with Ruby or other kids? Uh, He was two days old. He, um, yeah, he was referred through the hearing screening. You know, when you have a baby, they come in and they do all sorts of tests. Well, one of the tests that they do is um, a hearing loss screening. And Hank was, they don't say failed, but that's what it is. And uh, he was referred, you know, and so, and we went to a specialist and what I remember is them, and I, I understand why they did it, because 
they don't want to put any anybody into panic. But yeah. there was a lot of minimization going on. Sure. A lot of, oh, it's probably just fluid in his ears. Right. He might just be stressed out. Birth is stressful for the baby. You know, who knows? And so we went and we had something called an ABR um, when he was... Oh, probably like eight weeks old. They put these little like electrodes on their head and then they put sounds through the electrodes and they can read the brain to see if it's responding. Mm -hmm. And again, the same result as the initial screening. It wasn't registering. And they said, okay, he could just be tired. I don't know. That was another sort of, it's probably nothing. And my mother's heart was like. So you thought in those eight weeks... You thought it's probably nothing or probably something. Oh, I go immediately into panic. Mode. <laughs> okay. Immediately start Googling stuff. Yeah, no, immediately. Like okay. I am, um, and actually I... And you're a new mom. I mean... A brand new mom. And my personality is just, yeah, I try and figure it out. Fix it, you mode. know? Yeah. But I did, I do remember laying in, I was still in the hospital bed and I was trying to like glamorize it. Like, um, it's a wonderful life. Like George Bailey. I was like, <laughs> what if he's like George Bailey and some little girl will come and she'll whisper in his ear, like Hank Enright, I'll love you forever. Oh I mean, like I was just trying to like wrap my head sure. around a way that this was going to be adorable. Um, and Better I, than panic, I guess. I mean, I mean yeah, that came Or later. down and glum and <laughs> yeah. sad. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I mean, yeah, you know, you know, you have a brand new baby. Yeah. Like you, you look at them and you're like, whatever. Like, I'm just so happy you're here. Right. You know? So I just knew that whatever it ended up being, Mm -hmm. you know, we knew he had some sound because he was, like, responding to us. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we just didn't know. So I did kind of believe the doctors initially when they said, oh, it's probably nothing. It's probably nothing. But after that, the first ABR, then we came back and we did another one. And I remember sitting in this, I mean, a totally silent room with my baby and he had those electrodes on and he had this little thing like in his ear, his little teeny tiny newborn ear. Oh my God. And the nurse kept coming in and she kept adjusting the thing in the ear. And I knew, I was like, it's not registering mm. because she was checking to make sure that the connection, because nothing was happening on her end. I sure. just knew it. So we left that testing and we went in and we saw the doctor. And again, he said, it's probably nothing. And I said, well, when are we going to start talking about that? Maybe it is something, right? you know, and that particular provider told us to come back when Hake was 18 months old Wow, and that we would do other testing. And I said, okay, concurrently to that, because he was referred at birth, we got into the um, early intervention program, um, not by choice. In fact, I remember thinking like, why are these people in my house? Mm. Like they, everyone's saying it's probably nothing. I don't know why these professionals are having a meeting at my dining room table. And now are you in Urbana or you're in? In Urbana. Okay. Although, I mean, later they, I mean, they followed us to chicken bristle. So yeah, I mean, the resources for kids, I mean, they're there. They are, I mean, they're absolutely there. Like, and I, it it kind of breaks my heart sometimes when people just don't know that the help is there because there are so many good people like around in this area. And I mean, people go into that field because they care, you know, but knowing you, you're a big advocate, I imagine. And you really find the resources, I am sure. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Hank, actually, I'm much more of an advocate as a result of having Hank's Mm -hmm. hearing loss, you know, just be part of his story because those um, early intervention people were at the table and they were having a meeting that didn't even involve me, but I was just there. And somebody said something to the effect of, well, he doesn't even have a hearing aid yet. And it was that yet. 
And I said, I said, yeah. I said, they're telling me that it's probably nothing and right. probably won't have anything. And she looked at me and she said, well, you might want to get a second opinion. Mm. And I was like, I had never gotten a second opinion on anything in my life. I was just, okay, sure. A medical professional tells me something, A-okay. Right, you know? right, right. But now it's my kid, yeah. you know? And so um, that was the first time I ever asked for a second opinion. I had no idea that Carl had such an extensive pediatric hearing loss program. Right. Uh, but we made an appointment in there from the moment I walked in that building. I mean, it's primary colors and toys uh-huh. and you can hear kids running around. It was just very child centric. Right. And they did the same tests that the previous provider did. And you're talking about ECHO, which is the Expanding Children's Hearing Opportunities Building? Correct. Through Carl. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And they did the same testing, but they determined that he needed a hearing aid immediately wow. and he had his first little teeny tiny baby one it was neon blue uh he was four months old oh my gosh it was adorable is this like an old man hearing aid yeah like something the... you insert and it just kind of sits in the ear yeah it like sits over the top of his ear it was yeah it i should have brought it, it <laughs> i still have it it like oh i'm sure like I, a first tooth yeah. yeah i was doing that like marie kondo thing and i was like this brings me joy <laughs> like no i so yeah we we had that for a couple years and then he graduated to a device called a Baja which um, is an acronym for bone anchored hearing aid I had never heard of it or seen it that sounds scarier it was harder for me I thought the hearing aid was cute which I mean it's a medical device it doesn't really matter if I think it's cute or not but I did think it was cute the Baja sits on a strap that they wear around their head like a headband and to me it just felt a lot bigger you know and I remember taking him out uh, but the well let me backtrack. The cool thing about the Baja is because Hank is deaf in one ear and he has um, sound in the other. Okay. So uh, surround sound is a the big problem as far as like localization, trying okay. to figure out where sound's coming from. It can be a safety concern for a child not knowing where the car is coming from, sure. things like that. I remember Hank being a baby and he would quote unquote like lose me. I would be right there, but he would spin completely around like the wrong way like I would call his name and he would turn towards his hearing ear all the way around sure and he would lose me and then panic and I'm I can see him but like he he doesn't know where I am so the Baja takes sound from the side that is not registering and uses the skull as like a reverberation anchor and sends the sound over to the hearing ear so the benefit is that you are getting sound from both sides of the body, but you're still only hearing it on one side. So you still have trouble telling, like, is that car coming from the left or the right? And this uh, is completely external still. Yes. Okay. Yeah, all of this is external. And then we were there for a while, and I thought that was just what it was going to be because I had asked in previous appointments about the possibility of a cochlear implant, okay. which, uh, you know, is an artificial sound but I was told that Hank was not a candidate I just couldn't shake the thought of it and I really I I guess the one nice thing is when you're in those appointments there's so much going on in my brain that I'm not actually retaining a whole lot of information (laughs) yeah Yeah. so I would ask the same questions over and over and over again and they're so patient so sweet and they would just you know tell me the same you know over and over and we had an appointment with Dr. Novak who I've told him I would buy him a boat if I could Mm. um but I went in you could bake him something I could yeah I should (laughs) I know but he's he's so physically fit I don't know if he would eat it like but uh maybe some gluten (laughs) non-dairy something yeah but um 
The whole point of the entire appointment was for him to tell me again why Hank was not a candidate for a cochlear implant as a unilateral one-sided hearing loss child. And we went in and there had been some developments with research and he said, if you want to try it, we can try it. So yeah, so now Hank wears a cochlear implant. It was successful. That is a two-hour-long story that I don't know if I could summarize. He has progressed from a behind-the-ear okay. hearing aid to the Baja. Now he has the cochlear implant as well. So. And the cochlear implant, is it still external or is that surgical? The electrodes are implanted into the ear. So my understanding, and I did just give the disclaimer right. that I don't always listen in doctor's appointments because I'm internally right. having a mom freak out. Mary is not a medical professional. <laughs> not okay? at all. Okay. Not at all. She is a mom. I'm a mom. Okay. With a lot of experience in this area, but take <laughs> yeah. it with a grain of salt. Okay. Go Google something, I guess. <laughs> um, but the uh, sound is registered by like these little like hair electrodes like that we have naturally inside of our ears. Okay. And so what a cochlear implant does is it puts artificial electrodes into the ear. And then I don't know how it works, but um, there's a microphone that then brings sound in and stimulates those artificial little hairs. Wow. So there's an internal um, piece like in his ear, and then he has a magnet on his head that the headpiece sits on, and that's what creates the circuit loop. Okay. So that the whole thing is like working. My oldest son, Fletcher, had tubes put in his ears because he had chronic ear infections. He had to go under anesthesia. Yes. Little incision. Same? Yes. It's an extensive surgery. I think it was a couple hours. Um, So a cochlear implant is intended to be a one and done. You get it. You have it for the rest of your life. Sometimes they fail. Sometimes there's a recall or there's trauma to the site and you have to be re-implanted. It's very rare. Hank, however, had his implant for, I think, like three months. And we were at a family party Uh and he fell off of a bench and hit right on the site. And so we had to be re-implanted and um, we had to go through the whole thing, you know, the surgery, everything all over again. But I wouldn't wish for my child to have to continuously go under, you know, surgery, but I would do it over and over and over again. The difference in his speech and his ability to just like recognize where sound is coming from I mean with the cochlear implant it was almost immediate it like a difference it was amazing so, so. take me to that day when he gets the cochlear implant for the first time mm-hmm. testing to see what the result is mm-hmm. as a mom to your son what did that look like he was just shy of four but uh there is a time constraint if you're going to be putting a cochlear implant on a child because he had brain pathways that were capable of registering sound. However, because no sound was coming into the ear on Mm -hmm. that side, those brain pathways were not being used. So if you don't use anything, any part of your body, it will atrophy, which is part of why they said he wasn't a candidate is because he never had sound coming in. So Uh they didn't know if those pathways would register. So they didn't want to go through the whole surgery and have nothing happen. So we really didn't know if it was going to work at all. And actually, I was just talking to somebody about that day when we turned the implant on for the first time. I don't know if I can even describe that feeling. So he's woken up from surgery. You have to heal. So they don't flip it on the day of the surgery. So he gets implanted. He goes home. He's completely without sound on that side. Because when you put a cochlear implant in, you are destroying any natural ability to Mm -hmm. hear. 
So kids that have a little bit of hearing, you'll like sacrifice that. So yeah, so he was a little wonky, you know, like it was even less sound than he was accustomed to. And I think it was maybe four weeks later. Okay. I'm not, I can't recall, but then we go in and we flip it on. Yeah. Turn it on and see if it works. And they, you know, they were sending little beeps through, you know, he's just, he's a little baby's four. He was playing like a puzzle game. And when they said, when you hear the beep, put the puzzle piece in. And I just remember sitting there and like watching him hear it, you know, like it was one of the best days of my life, honestly. So you could read it on his face. Oh yeah. That he had heard that beep. Yeah. So from that moment on, what is it like in his, his world? I would love to ask him. I mean, (laughs) I don't know, you know, like his experience is something that I can't fully understand, which is a weird thing as a mom, right? Like, I don't know what it sounds like for him. I've listened to cochlear implant simulations like online and it's very robotic and it's worse than like a microphone. It's just, it, in my opinion, it feels like distorted, almost like this is going to be awful, but you know, like those movies, like where like some demon comes up and it's like this, like, yeah, just intense voice. But the, um, the simulations I listened to, it was the same phrase over and over and over again. And what happens is your brain at first is like totally rejecting the sound. It doesn't make any sense. And then you keep listening to it and you slowly start to hear like what they're saying. I kind of equate it sometimes to like, if you ever turn on like the BBC, you know, they're speaking English, but you can't understand what they're saying at first. And then a cochlear implant does need to be programmed at every person is going to be a little different. It's kind of like radio dials you have to kind of find Tune it in. just yeah. the right thing and so different people hit different frequencies and we're constantly fine-tuning it he does um sound and listening checks daily they're called the ling sound l-i-n-g okay and there's six of them i believe and those six sounds hit every frequency of any word in the English language so we say those sounds to him every day wow and then he repeats it back we chart it and then if he's missing consistently a certain sound we can then talk to his ENT about it or his audiologist and they can make adjustments on the implant so So. just like brushing his teeth this is part of your morning routine yeah it's just part yeah it's just part of his day yeah did his speech or personality change when he became able to hear it's a related, but Hank's speech was horrific. I mean, it was just awful. It was, oh. he, he was completely unintelligible. Like I remember, you know, as his mom, I could understand sure. him for the most part, but you'd go out and a, a grocery store clerk would ask him a question yeah. and he would respond and they would freeze and turn to me. Yeah. And he was on this like island because no one was able to understand what he was saying. And we always thought that if we got the hearing issue resolved. Sure. That then if he could hear the sound, then he would be able to model it. But he actually was not making the gains in his speech. And mm-hmm. he had hour-long daily speech therapy sessions. When he was a little itty-bitty guy, he'd be in his high chair and we would do speech drills where we would say you know, a sound and he would repeat it back. It's almost like crazy to think about how you adapt how much you do you know um but it was just something we did and so if for anybody who's like there with little ones trying to get through all of that stuff it's not going to be like that forever it's like building a foundation we don't have to do hour-long drills anymore but we did for years and years but i so hank's speech therapist was not seeing the gains that she would normally expect. And so she actually had a hunch that there may have been something else like physically prohibiting him from Mm -hmm. making some of those sounds. And honestly, again, I mean, thank God for 
medical professionals who care because she pushed hard um, and I was resistant, but he did have actually it's called the pharyngeal flap it's in the back of his throat again not a medical professional <laughs> but she sounds like one i can spell like that one. word too <laughs> it's got a y in there a ph um but uh the pharyngeal flap is what when you drink water it's what keeps the water from like coming out of your nose so when you laugh it opens so his didn't fully connect so he was physically unable to make forced air sounds like cookie or six or puppy. He just couldn't do it because right. you have to be able to like push air out to do that. So they found that again also at Echo, at Chaos. And then we were able to have corrective surgery from there. And that was also like night and day. I mean, hmm. he came out of surgery and was immediately able to communicate with people. Wow. It was amazing. So those two surgeries, those two interventions mm-hmm. have completely changed his quality of life. Oh, 100%. He's, he's bright. He's mm-hmm. interesting. He's got cool things. He's, you know, he's a, he's a cool little guy. Right. The things that he wants to tell the world about, you know, to think that he wouldn't be able to do that. And I mean, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, like no one would even know mm-hmm. like what was in his head. Like, yeah. you know, and, and I have no idea what's going to transpire for the rest of Hank's life like who he's gonna be or what he's gonna do right but there's possibilities now you know and he could not interact with the world in a way that he could honestly even really contribute right for those two I mean because yeah he couldn't like talk right and he couldn't hear yeah it just it, it blows my mind sometimes to like think about what things might have been like had it not been you know, for modern day, right. you know, medicine for people that pushed. And also, and I've, I've said before, like he was my first, you see these like milestones and you just think like, oh yeah, it's yeah. fine. This is just what he's like. Or, you know, you well, don't have a comparison. Yeah, yeah. Nobody can understand a two year old, you know, but I shadowed him for his first week at chaos, the Carl auditory oral school when he was there because his speech was so poor that they couldn't even understand him as far as just like patterns. I mean, it was just lots of like, ba da, ah, like it was just like sounds, right. you know, and it was his own way of communicating. And he, he did start to pick up, like he, we did baby sign and stuff like that just to give him an outlet because the frustration level on his end did start to kind of build there sure. as he got into like toddler hood. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, he would be asking for water and I didn't know right. that that's what he wanted. Yeah. And, you know, when I'm thirsty, I want water now, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so he goes to chaos and then he goes now to what school? He goes to North Ward Elementary in Tuscola. Okay. So how was the transition from this comfortable, safe cloud mm-hmm. to a public school? We have said before uh, other chaos families and myself that the only downside to chaos is that we have to go somewhere else afterwards because it's such a beautiful environment i was scared about going to public schools i was resistant and this was right before this is pre-covid so um and then covid hit in the middle of that transition but i I do want to give a lot of credit to the staff at North Ward in Tuscola, specifically the principal, uh, Jason Wallace, who has met with me every time I've asked, which is mm-hmm. a lot. <laughs> and um, he's, you know, you have he, him on speed dial. I, I actually, I, I do. We're, yeah, we're, we're text buddies. Um, 
I came in very open and honest to that mm-hmm. first. And I said, you know, I don't know if you guys are good or not. I don't trust you. Mm-hmm. And it's not because I don't think that you're a good school. It's because I have no foundation of trust right. for you right now. Right. And this is everything that I'm fearful of. This is what I want. This is, and they listened to me. They tried to put me at ease. They put their money where their mouth or like, you know, whatever that, that phrase is. Yeah. Especially at his first year, his kindergarten teacher, uh, Mrs. Uh, Andrea Wilmore. I mean, she was absolutely amazing. I mean, I can't even put into like words how important it was for me as a mom to like know that there was somebody like that who, you know, was willing to adapt on the fly. Because even small things like, so um, part of like, for a child with hearing loss, like preferential seating is like mm-hmm. a thing. Like, you know, the best place for them to be would be up closer to the teacher. Sure. Well, that was the intention. And then things didn't line up exactly that way. And so for a big chunk of the year, he was actually in the back of the room, which I didn't know. And then I found that out and I, you know, immediately contacted uh, his teacher and I said, okay, we really need to move him up to the front. Right. And we did that. And Hank almost immediately started like complaining about going to school in the morning. He didn't want to go. Interesting. All of his buddies were in the back of the room. So I contacted her again. That's the fun place to be. Yeah. I mean, that's where I wanted to be too, you know. And the thing was, is he was actually doing okay back there. I didn't know he was back there. And so to me as a mom, that said like, things are okay. It wasn't like, oh, he's struggling. What could possibly be the problem? So we made the decision to lean towards the social like Uh benefits versus a strictly you know following the IEP yeah you know yeah Yeah. and I mean and so yeah she she moved him the first day I asked immediately she moved him right back the next day I mean yeah she's super adaptable and Hank to somebody with hearing loss too I think that a lot of times we think like if you hear something you understand it but if we think about our own experiences we hear sounds all day long that we're not actually registering and so a lot of times it will appear as though a child especially because kids don't listen anyway. You know right, what I mean? Right, like, right. but yes, so, it, do. <laughs> so it's this thing like, did you hear me? Did you understand me? And it can appear like that it's defiance. Yeah, sure. You know, but it's not. And if I couldn't hear something, I'm guessing my own personality, you know, you just kind of start to fake it. I yeah. mean, like, you know, if you've asked somebody, if they're telling you a story and you say, I'm sorry, what? And then they repeat it. Then you're like, oh yeah, great. Even though you have no idea what they just said. But, uh, you know, that's kind of his world sometimes. So my fear was that he would be viewed as somebody that wasn't following directions or wasn't, you know. A bad kid. A bad kid. Right. Yeah. And he's not a bad kid at all. I mean, he's not perfect, but he's not, he's just a kid, you know. So North Ward has met and exceeded my hopes, I guess I should say. And I've heard, it's rumored, that they have helped you find some missing pieces. Oh, yeah. That's just, yeah. This is like the retainer in the trash can at lunch. Yeah. Whenever you put, you know, removable medical equipment on a child and send them out to the world, I mean, yeah, pieces fall off all the time. They're itty-bitty. The hearing aids, you can get all different kinds of crazy colors, but for some reason, the cochlear implants are all like flesh tone. And so it's like brown. Camouflage. Yeah. You're like trying to find it. But um, I mean, it's been entire search parties out on the playground through the wood chips, trying to find these little things. And And you're just seeing money. I mean, 
Well, yeah, but it's... And time. It's mostly like the 24, 48 hours where you don't have it. But Advanced Bionics is the brand of Hank's cochlear implant. I mean, they've overnighted stuff to us before. It's They understand the importance of it. He was without a battery for a while because, well... I lost it. And, uh, and you can't go to Walgreens? No, 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 no. Uh, well, for a hearing aid battery, you can. But for a cochlear implant battery, it's like its own special like okay. little charger thing. And they asked, is it like an immediate need? Does he need it right? And I said, yeah. I'm like, we don't have it. And they just free of charge overnighted a temporary battery while we did the paperwork for the new one. But people care. I mean, yeah. across the board. And I, I do always, whenever I'm talking to anybody at any of those companies or – you know, we've had multiple services. Uh, Division of Specialized Care in Chicago helped fund the cochlear implant surgery for us. And I always try and make a note before I get off the phone with any of those people to like let them know like how much I appreciate them doing the paperworky financial type stuff sure. because it frees me up to be a mom. Yeah. You know, like it lets me just love him and discipline him and support him and do what I need to do without trying to figure out how to be a pseudo audiologist. Right. And so many times we get aggravated on the phone, Mm -hmm. sifting through all of that red tape. So for you to say, I appreciate you. I mean, they probably don't hear that that much. So it's a nice thing, you know, to keep them going. Everybody should say it. I agree. Yeah. I agree. agree. I'll remember that. (laughs) We talked a little bit about money and the equipment. Yes. How does insurance play into this? And you mentioned the sliding scale. Okay. So two parts, I guess, to that. The Carl Auditory Oral School is a not-for-profit school. It's over in Urbana. It's in the same building as Echo. It's mm-hmm. like right there on Park Street, I think. Okay. Right next to a caring place. And their mission is that no child with hearing loss will be denied admission for financial reasons. Okay. Uh, so it's a sliding scale. There are families that pay full price tuition. There are families that pay, I think, nothing. It's purely based on getting the kids in there. Like yeah. they would rather have a kid in there getting the services that they need than be collecting tuition. Chaos also has able hearing children there. My daughter, Ruby, went there as an able hearing peer. And that's so awesome. Yeah, it's great. I mean, because that way, too, there's positive modeling of speech. And it's great for those kids, too. I mean, they learn compassion and empathy and patience and that, you know, equity over like equality, you know, like, like, doesn't mean everyone's going to get exactly the same thing. Sure. You know, some people need a little bit more. Some people need a little bit less. Right. You know, and so it's amazing. But able hearing children do pay full price. When I first found out about chaos and I looked online and I saw the tuition and I, I remember my heart just like sinking and I thought like, oh, if only, uh. you know, like if only we could. And it was another pediatric hearing loss mom in the community who told me that it was a sliding scale. And she said, just go and talk to them. And they... I mean, more than worked with they, they. They factored in our commute, the gas. They just want kids to be able to hear, to be able yeah. to communicate. So that is the experience with chaos. So if anyone is like looking at the tuition and thinking like I can't do it, sure, please just like reach out, ask. 
they will work with you. Okay. For the cochlear implant, because um, I talked a little bit about the pathways to the brain, that research wasn't fully developed at the time that we were looking at getting the cochlear implant for Hank. So he actually got his done before it was FDA approved, Okay. which means insurance won't cover it. So I mentioned briefly the Division of Specialized Care for Children, which is out of UIUC in Chicago, uh-huh. they funded that for him, which is hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that's life changing, you know? And we sort of talked a little bit about, I mean, who knows what Hank's life might radiate and touch. And I mean, it's when you invest in a child, you're investing in like a community and a future. It's, It's just amazing. Now it is FDA approved. Insurance will cover single sided cochlear implants, but Hank was one of the first 200 kids in the U.S. to get a single-sided implant. So we had to come up with that cold, hard cash ourselves. But you'd do it again. Oh, in a heartbeat. Yeah, actually, we okayed the surgery before having any kind of fund. I was ready to sell the house. Oh, my gosh, Mary. I I mean, whatever it took. And I also knew, I mean, you know, we're from here. We're from Champaign-Urbana. This community, I knew that the people here would take care of us. I said, I'll have a fundraiser. I don't know. We'll do bands. We'll figure something out. Yeah, a giant bake sale. (laughs) You know, $100,000 bake sale. Yeah, each cookie's a thousand bucks. I only got to sell it like, what, a hundred of them. Um, But... I mean, I knew that we would be taken care of. Sure. And I was right. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to add that you don't think we touched on? Um, Not specifically. Okay. You, yeah, no, you asked wonderful questions. Okay, well, I am happy for you. And I think the message here is that there's resources out there. Yes. You have to take a little time and effort to find them, and you have to be an advocate for your child. And other moms, because it sounds like you've kind of found community and other moms, and they found you. I Yeah, so actually, I will add, um, I remember when Hank was itty-bitty that at one of those first appointments, they mentioned to me like a parent support group, mm-hmm. and I remember thinking, I have friends. No, I'm okay. All right. And um, so I didn't join, and then through our time at Chaos, I became friends with other hearing loss parents. My right. Best friend on the planet is a hearing loss parent. And having her, not just like our friend dynamic, but being able to ask her questions about equipment or like I was trying to change out a piece on the cochlear implant. I wasn't sure if I was supposed to pull this thing off or if I was going to snap it if I did. And so just to be able to like text her. Yeah. And she said, oh, no, it's like a watch pin. You have to like push the pin out and the whole thing will come off. But I mean, it was like 930 at night, you know, to be able to do that. I remember there was a kid that didn't have a whole lot of speech and every time I would see him you know you would just greet him you'd say hi Callan hi right and then one day he said hi back and as soon as he said hi back I turned and I looked at his mom like wide-eyed and she said I know (laughs) and it was like to know like in that moment how big it was that he said hi back you know like those are the kind of things that you share just with each other yeah so Yeah. yeah it it is I think extremely beneficial to have other parents other friends that can relate to any experience that you're in I mean it doesn't have to be hearing loss it's whatever you know you're going through to have somebody else there's a group for everyone I'm sure there is a group yeah especially with like the internet now right right (laughs) well thank you so much Mary I really appreciate you coming oh no thanks and let's plug 
Anything you want to plug before we go? Let's plug Honey Bunny Bakes, okay. right? Ah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So Honey Bunny Bakes, we are uh, located inside the CU Flower House Co-op, which is at 2006 South Neal Street. We're in the strip right next to Old Time Meat and Deli over by Harvest Market. Okay. We are open Tuesday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Saturday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. The CU Flower House is the brainchild of Andrea Hunt Shelton from A Hunt design it's gorgeous in there it's Mm -hmm. we have a florist a calligraphist um we're in there with the cookies and the cake jars that we struggled to keep stocked because which is a good problem they fly off the shelves yeah Yeah. if you haven't made it over there it's a gorgeous beautiful space andrea's design aesthetic is to die for Uh, so yeah we're we're very very happy uh to be there so and then if they want to reach you personally should they email you for booking or do you want to go straight through the cu flower house my booking manager can be reached at Honey Bunny Booking. Manager, booking manager. Well, they had to kick me off because when you said that you tried to order a cake and that we were booked, my heart, like, it, like, stabbed me in the heart. <laughs> if I knew you personally, yeah. if I liked your theme or if a child was involved, I was like, sure, we'll do it. Right. And then, then you're up at 1 a.m. Yeah. Sifting or flour. worse. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, they said, you're not allowed to be on the schedule smart, anymore. So smart. I have a booking manager. Love it. But yeah, but yeah, it. it's, it's honeybunnybooking at gmail.com. Okay. And let's give a shout out to Chaos and Echo yes. at Carl. Mm-hmm. They're out there if you need them. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Mary. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. However your podcast host of choice allows, please positively rate, review, comment, and give all the stars. Don't forget to follow, subscribe, share, and ring that notification bell so you know when the next episode drops. Also, search and follow HyperLocalCU on all social media. If I forgot anything or you need me, visit my website at HyperLocalCU.com. Bye!